Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. That's a clip from Shorts Season by Tunnel Songs out of Sheffield, Ohio. Tunnel Songs is our featured musical artist today, so stick around to the end of the podcast and we'll tell you more about him and treat you to a full version of the song. And if you're making original music in Ohio, we're saving you a spot on our future podcast. Just send us an email to feedback at ohiomysteries.com and introduce yourself. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and researcher, Paula Schleiss, a multi-award winning journalist who spent 30 years writing news and features for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hey, everybody. Paula, I bet our listeners think I know all about what's coming up tonight, but the truth is, sometimes I get busy Sometimes you get busy, and we don't even discuss the topic until we are sitting right here at the table right now. So I have no idea what you have planned for us, so what you got? A murder mystery? Another shipwreck? Maybe another UFO? I really like that UFO story. (laughs) I like that one, too, but none of the above. Officially, we've got a missing persons case. But I can't wait to see how you feel at the end of this, because you might want to reclassify it. As an unsolved murder, as a runaway, or what authorities want you to believe, that it's a case of amnesia. Amnesia? Okay, that'll be a new one for our podcast. And you know, Steve, we also have to tell our listeners, we have a new feature at the end of our story. We have selected a podcast listener to play the role of armchair detective. So we're going to be asking our special guests to offer their own theory of what happened. I can't wait. And I'm sure our listeners are ready to get right into this. So everyone gather around the campfire and Paula can let us know who is our missing person. Okay. Well, let me put you guys into a time machine and take you back to 1953. And that's where I want to introduce you to Ronald Tammon Jr., Now, Ron, he's a 19-year-old from Maple Heights, that's a suburb of Cleveland, and he's one of six kids, raised by a loving mom and a hardworking locomotive fireman. Now, in 1953, 
He's finishing up his sophomore year at Miami, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. I'm going to test your geographic knowledge. Do you know where Miami yes, University is? Not in it's, California. It's, I mean, down it's down not in, in Florida. Not, a, not in California. Not, not in California, Florida, but near the, Dayton. Oh, you got it. Yes. You spent a little time down in Dayton, so that's how you know. So anyway, he's a, a student in the School of Business Administration, and I'm pretty sure the ladies considered him handsome. I saw a picture of him. Like he's, me. Like, uh, me. like you. He's <laughs> 175 pounds. Like, no, not like me. <laughs> not like you. Five foot nine, dark Definitely hair. Not me. Very, very uh, appealing. And you know what? He's everything you would want in a student. He has diverse interests. He played the bass fiddle in the Campus Owls dance band. He belonged to Delta Tau Delta fraternity. He was a member of the varsity wrestling team. Uh, He was also an honor student, and he was picked to be a resident assistant. That's a counselor to freshmen at Fisher Hall. Fisher Hall. For shorthand, they call it an RA, resident assistant. Oh, okay. And Fisher Hall, where he's living, that is where Ron Tamman is going to vanish. So it's the evening of April 19, 1953, and Ron finds a dead fish in his bed. So, you a know. A dead fish. A dead fish. This and must be a Fisher Hall joke. I Oh, oh, I didn't even think of there that. Yes. Yeah. Fish and Fisher <laughs> Hall. Well, he's obviously, you know, the room's getting a little stinky, so he's got to change his sheets out. So he goes to the hall manager, lady by the name of Aura Truitt Todd Hunter. Okay. And asks for some new sheets. So She's the she, best with new sheets. She's the best. Well, that's where you go. That's Aura right. Truitt Todd Hunter. So he gets two sheets, a pillowcase, and a mattress cover. And then he returns to his dorm room. It's 8 p.m. That's the last anybody will ever see him. So at 10.30 p.m., Ron's roommate, Charles Findlay of Dayton, he comes into the room. All the lights are on. Ron's psychology book is open. Clearly, he's been studying everything. All of Ron's personal effects are there. There's just no Ron. So now Charles, he knows that he's a, a member of that fraternity, and he thinks, well, maybe he went to spend the night there. That doesn't, you know, Maybe that was something he did occasionally. So... He doesn't become too concerned. But Ron, he doesn't come back the next day. And then a few brief questions from other people reveals he didn't attend any of classes. So the roommate becomes worried, reports his absence to the university, and they begin a search for this missing sophomore. So this is very unlike him. He's, I mean, he's not like he's a partier and... I, everything that I read from quotes of friends and family, absolutely not okay. like him to just disappear. Okay. So by the end of the week, the authorities, they haven't the slightest idea of what happened. There were no signs of violence. The only things unaccounted for were his watch and a few bucks. Uh, he had a car, but it was in its proper parking spot. And so authorities pretty quickly start treating this case Efron had an instant case of amnesia. Wait, why, why would they jump to that conclusion? They never explained. Well, in part because they had no other reason. I mean, there were, huh. there were no signs of anything else, so they, like, defaulted to this amnesia. And they specifically said, well, he must have walked to a corner somewhere and thumbed a ride out of town. And I'm thinking, well, if you're suddenly struck by a case of amnesia, where are you thumbing a ride to? Exactly. What, what do you tell the driver 
Where do you tell him you want to go? Exactly. I mean, I could see if he had, he's had a history of, you know, some kind of mental issues or something like yeah. that, that that's why they would jump into that conclusion. But right. you're saying this is for no reason. Whatsoever. Does not seem to have any basis in history, in his personal history. Huh. So, you know, the, the police are saying, look, if we're patient, his memory's going to return and he'll come back to us. Well, his parents, they discount this theory right off the bat. They said they saw him just the week before. He was in good spirits. He was doing well. Um, Ron's brother, Richard, he's also a student at Miami University. He's a freshman while his brother's a sophomore. He didn't notice anything strange. Uh, But police chief Oscar Decker, he doesn't know where to turn next. He tells a reporter, we are just stymied. We have done everything we can at this end. The trail just vanishes in his room at Fisher Hall. So, as is common in these situations, some leads come in. They're all dutifully followed. Um, There's a woman in Cincinnati. She tells police that she had rented a room to a youth that kind of sounded like Tamman's description. So Ron's fraternity brothers, they hop in the car and run out to take a look, but they find the tenant, and it's not him. Uh, And then rumors swept the campus that Ron had been found in New York. But that was not true. In the end, more than 400 students, including his fraternity brothers, the local Air Force ROTC unit, and other students, all joined a search covering a three-mile radius of Fisher Hall, and they could not come up with a scrap of evidence. You know, there, it, you have these students who even go missing today, like Murrah Murray, um, Brian Schaefer down at Columbus, same thing. You, they have them... They have them walking out. I believe they have them exiting a bar on video and never seen again after that. It, you know, I when I was doing this research, I came across a handful of, of students that have gone missing in the past century from college campuses. And, yeah, I you know, I'm not going to say that it's – Strange. I mean, if you get thousands of people together, you know, in one place. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the chances are something strange is going to happen to one of them. Right. But this just became a mystery that has has lasted for decades. And so, you know, everyone settles into this period of, of watchful waiting. There's literally nothing to do. You know, there are some other theories that come up. And one was, well, could Ron Tammen have just left of his own volition? Did he walk out of his room at Fisher Hall, never intending to return. But if he did, that strategy seemed kind of flawed because he only took 10 or 11 bucks with him. He left $100 behind in a checking account. Uh, His wallet and his identification were still in the room. So were all of his clothes, with the exception of what he wore on his back. So it doesn't sound like that would have been planned very well if he was planning on disappearing himself. Yeah, you would think that those are the things you would take unless you were... You know, going to change identity. You'd still want your money, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, same thing with Murrah Murray. She had, you know, hundreds of dollars in her checking account before she vanished, you know. Yeah. It's kind of odd. So, you know, the police, they jump back to the amnesia theory. Yeah, so like, what is this theory? These, uh, so, these are flat earthers? Or they, they have these, I don't you know? I, I don't know. I decided I'm going to be a flat mooner. I'm well, going to believe the world is round, but the moon is flat. That's what I'm going to that's I have not heard that one. That one's fascinating. Yeah, that's why I'm gonna okay, do that. Okay, the moon. It's because flat. on my Apple Watch, you can see the Earth is round. You know. Oh so, yeah. But when yeah. you bring up the moon, see, you know the continents are going to be on the other side. But okay. when you bring up the moon, I think it's flat. 
Okay. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. Right. You know what? I can't personally <laughs> prove it either way because I've never been there. Well, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, the, the police chief, he thinks, he's now saying also amnesia because Ron was an honor student. So there was a sign that maybe studying, he had been studying too much, and that was a lot of pressure. Well, you have studied a lot, right? I mean, have you ever had amnesia? I have not. <laughs> okay. And actually, Dr. E.F. Patton, he's head of the university's psychology department, he jumps up right away and he says, uh, there has never been a case of amnesia caused by someone spending too much time studying. So parents, don't take this from your kids. Right. When they say, look, I can't study too hard tonight, I might get amnesia, don't buy into it. And if Paula goes missing, that's because she studied too hard on one of these podcasts. Yes, I re- coming up with. <laughs> I research- I'm going to become the mystery. That's right. <laughs> uh, other experts, they're saying, look, if it's amnesia, it could take weeks, even months for Ron Tammon to remember who he is. And in the meantime, he might even unconsciously adopt another identity. So on May 18, the FBI joins the case, um, and no authorities, at least publicly, are even discussing the idea of foul play. Really? Now, I was going to say when the FBI comes along, they're going to say this amnesia thing is bull. They did not come out and speak publicly either way, but throughout this entire coverage of this case, the police authorities constantly said they did not think there was foul play involved. This frustrates me. This is this just seems like it's lazy. It's 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 laziness. Well, I don't you know, I don't know what they know and what they do, don't share everything that they know. But yeah, I guess they so. never gave a good reason why they were hanging on to that amnesia idea. But to their favor There's a strange thing that happens on June 29, 1953. So this is a couple months after Ron goes missing. Uh, Their amnesia theory gets a little bit of a lift. There's a a woman who tells police she had just seen the picture of the missing college student. He had become the subject of this national manhunt by this time. And she had heard about it but hadn't seen his picture. And suddenly she saw his picture and she was like, oh, my gosh, that guy was standing on my front porch the night of April 19, which was the night he went missing, at 11 p.m. And she said this gentleman had come up to her porch. Um, He was wearing the clothes the police had described. He had a smudge of dirt or grease on his face. And he asked her, what town am I in? Really? And she said, well, you're in Seven Mile. Apparently that's a city. I'm not familiar with that city, but it's it's a city that if you walk to it from Miami University, it's about a three-hour hike on foot. Okay. It's not confused with eight miles and from Detroit. Not that. M&M. Okay. No, this is seven <laughs> mile. And she said she assumed that maybe he was having car trouble because, you know, he had the smudge on his face. Maybe he had been working under the hood. And then he said, where will I be if I go in that direction? And he pointed, and she said, Middletown. And then he said, okay, and then he left her porch. So, but still, somebody saw him at 8 o'clock. She sees this guy at 11. If it's a three-hour hike, he would have had to leave the giving out the sheets lady and immediately get amnesia and begin the walk to Seven Mile to reach this woman by 11. So the sheets sheets lady is telling him. Or a Todd Truett Hunter. Yes, telling him, tell, telling us that he came to me because he found a fish in the bed. Found a dead fish in his bed. See, you know, that, that's a little weird. 
Okay. Is it fishy? It sounds fishy. Is there it's, something fishy so at bad. Fisher Hall? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, we we can go out and on about that. Right. I'm very interested in, in the fish thing. Nobody ever talks about that fish right. in this but it, case. It but sounds like a crazy thing to say if you are starting to lose it. Maybe there was no fish. Or maybe there was a fish, and it was an excuse to get him out of the room to go get some new sheets so somebody could snatch him while he was out of the room. There you go. Anyway, so, you know, the woman's account is interesting, but again, they no hard evidence. So a year passes, and on the anniversary of Ron's disappearance, all of a sudden I'm seeing quotes from his family buying the amnesia idea. So at this point I'm wondering if maybe they're just trying to hold on to any bit of hope that he's alive because if he's got amnesia, he's alive. That, okay. That's the one scenario that's good because it means he's alive. So I don't know if that's why they're saying it now. They were very adamant that it wasn't, and a year later... They're buying it. So each year, the mysterious story of Ron Tamman's disappearance is resurrected uh, but without a single clue to speak of until 1973. 1973. 20, okay, 20 years later. 20 years later. Yeah, I can a, do the math. When a very, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I was helping you out. Yeah, there you go. Because I have it written down here. Oh, do you? My sheet here says, this is 20 years after the well, event. Well, you didn't put it on my sheet. You made me do the now, math. No, well, that's because <laughs> you didn't call to see what we were talking that's about. Right, so I was going right. to make you rough it. <laughs> so anyway, this interesting story appears in the uh, local paper. I think it was the Dayton newspaper. Okay, so there's the Butler County Coroner in 73, his Dr. Garrett Boone. Okay. Now, he was not the county coroner when Ron went missing. But Dr. Boone is sharing his memory of that year, and he says that Ron Tammon had come to his doctor's office five months to the day before his disappearance and asked for a blood test. Now, Dr. Boone claimed that in his 35 years of practice, Ronald Tammon was the only person to ever visit his office with such a request. So he asked Tammon, what do you want the test for? And Tammon said, well, I might have to give blood one of these days. Now, the doctor's records indicate the test was done, and Tammon was given the results, but he didn't have the records of what the results were. This guy, who is now the coroner in 73, he, he found this all strange enough that he gave the authorities this account back in 1953 when all the search okay, was going on. Okay, so when on. you were missing, he came forward and yes. said, he asked me for this blood test. Right. Okay. And he says he was blown off. So he said he was so sure that this had something to do with the case that he kept reminding authorities about this visit to his office. And he said he really felt that some people at the university or in the police department had known something that they weren't revealing because he thought it was really strange that they would not accept this information from him. And he said, quote, I always held in the back of my mind that there was something fishy about this whole case. There's that word fishy again. That's he right. does not he does not mean the fish in the bed. That's right. That's okay. right. Okay. So So here I'm making fun of fun of the cops and they might have no stuff that I don't, of course. Well, I, it, it's weird. I mean, it just adds to the mystery of right. this. And this guy, I mean, this doctor's not a quack. He was the coroner at the time. So clearly he's, you know, an intelligent, yeah. you know, level-headed guy. So now, 
I have to, there's something that gives the story an eerie quality that I have to mention. It's not directly related, but it, it, it kind of, well, you'll know when I tell you. Okay. So Fisher Hall, the location where this happens, it was originally the home of Oxford College for Women, but in the 1880s, it was purchased by a Dr. Harvey Cook and turned into an asylum. So when the school bought the property in the 1920s to turn it into a dorm, uh, students reported stumbling across things like straight jackets and these old asylum mementos. Uh-huh. Um, and also kind of eerie was that when Dr. Cook had purchased that building for his asylum, there were two other buildings on the property, a residence and another building, and they were connected by an underground tunnel. And he used to use this underground tunnel to move between the buildings so that his patients in the building that would become Fisher Hall so that they couldn't see him. So all of this kind of, you know, logistical eeriness uh, kind of contributed to this legend of Fisher Hall being haunted. Right. Creepy. And Tamman's disappearance did not dissuade anybody of this notion. Yeah. And so people started reporting, saying Tamman's ethereal presence in the halls. And for decades, the students talked about the ghost of Fisher Hall. And Ronald Tamman has his own page on the university website. I was going to ask, because do they it still is do so this? legendary. Okay. His disappearance is so legendary there. He's got his own page. Now, Fisher Hall's not there anymore. Sad to say. They don't have a new building called Fisher Hall? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to say no. The original Fisher Hall, anyhow, was demolished in 1978. And interestingly, I found a report that they did an extensive search of the rubble specifically looking for Tamman's remains, just in case there was something there, and nothing was found. Just in case the sheet lady did something? In case the... (laughs) Did anybody look at that sheet lady? Right. Or Ted Hunter. I forget her name now, but it was a good name. I like that name. (laughs) So anyway, so 2008, everybody holds their collective breath again. 2008, investigators in Georgia are having a body exhumed in a cemetery outside the city of Lafayette. They wanted to compare the DNA of this body with Ron Tamman's sister, Marcia, who was 10 when her brother went missing. Uh That body in Georgia has its own legend attached. It was discovered June 25, 1953. Not too long after he went missing. A couple of months after he went missing. And the Georgians dubbed the location where it was found Dead Man's Hollow. So this body has its own legend going on down there. And when a sheriff's detective uh, learned about the old Tamman case, he thought, oh, the the time frame, you know, this is kind of interesting. So they unearthed the body, and then everybody's on pins and needles for a few weeks. But the DNA didn't match. So... Had me on edge there. You know, was... Was Tom, Ron Tamman a murder victim? Was he an amnesiac? Did he disappear because he wanted to? And what about that dead fish in his bed? What was that about? Part of me, like I said, part of me wonders if someone had put that dead fish in his bed to get him to leave his room. Exactly. Well, Paula, these are all good questions for our armchair detective. This is a new feature of our weekly podcast where we select one of our listeners to consider the mystery of the evening. Then, 
give us their own theory on the case. And tonight, we are joined by Dwayne Lawrence from Copley. Hi, Dwayne. How's it going? Great. Thanks for having me over to the fire. Well, we are happy to have you with us, Dwayne. Thanks for being here. So listen, just first, what are your general thoughts about this story? You didn't get to choose the case we were going to ask you to comment on. So was this one interesting or intriguing? Uh, definitely uh, interesting for someone just to vanish in midair. It's definitely uh definitely a big question marks even at the end you try I, there's a million different things it seems like could have happened and it's definitely uh, fun to go through it all i think i mentioned to you of all the podcasts we've done this is the first one where i absolutely have no opinion of what happened gone so <laughs> gone and uh, you also filled me in that you did a little bit of your own research after listening to the podcast. I did, yes, just to try to look up some more facts and get some more information. Did Definitely. you find anything we didn't talk about? Uh, well, there are a couple different things. Um, uh, first of which, and I noticed a couple different places, they talked about as far as the fish in the bed, yeah. uh, there was a friend that came out and had said that it was a prank, <gasps> that he and Ronald, his name was Richard Titus, and he and Ronald would prank each other back and forth. The prank before that, Ronald had put Rice Krispies in his bed. So allegedly, it was either, and he was, this was years later, I think it was uh, in the 70s when the newspaper reporter, I can't remember his name, John Sellis, yeah. had done the article and dug up more information. He had talked to Richard. And Richard claims that it was, he thinks it might have been Friday, but most likely Saturday. He knows that there were classes going on, that that's when he put the fish in. It was after class. But Ronald didn't find the fish until Sunday. So did Ronald not sleep in his bed Saturday night Ooh. that he didn't find it? That's a good question. But good for you. I am so glad that you solved that. I did not come across that. And I kept thinking when I'm reading these stories, why are people not talking about the fish? And, you know, it's obviously the, the police had that figured out quickly, and that's why they weren't bringing it up. But it did not turn up in it's any such a of the weird fact. stories that I was finding. You guys had some great fish jokes. That's awesome. In your podcast, too. Oh, we did. I'm glad we didn't know so that we could get all our fish jokes. In, so. Yeah, good. Anything else that you found? Uh I saw one thing they were talking about. It was it was not a great night weather-wise either. So I saw one thing that said it was a little snowy. There were flurries. So it was obviously cold. Yeah. So for him to just walk off seems really crazy as well, I thought. I don't know how much I believe in amnesia. Do you? And I got to like tell in you, general. researching some of these stories, it's like half the missing persons cases that I've been researching for future podcasts there's at least one story where the cops are throwing out the amnesia idea. I think it was the thing back then. Like, I think back in the day, people were just faulted to this amnesia. People were just wandering off. It was, it was, a, <laughs> you know, it was just, an epidemic of I, amnesia. You think eventually that they would come to their senses or somebody would be like, hey, hey, we found this person. <laughs> Is anybody missing anyone? You know, that's why I don't know if I've never met anyone that's had amnesia. Uh, and like I said, I he said he got amnesia and he thumbed a ride. And I'm like, so you get in the car, you don't know who you are. Yeah. What do you say to the driver? Take me north. Take me where? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so very interesting. Well, I want to hear some of your theories on the case, and there are probably specific facts that you have opinions of. So where do you want to start? Uh, well, definitely the amnesia thing. I don't buy that at all. Okay. Um, and okay. I don't know how much I buy the, uh, what's her name? Is it Mrs. Snivy or Miss Snivy from... 
the woman that claims that she saw him that night. Oh, yeah, the woman in Six Mile. But it seems like the police were all over that, like, oh... This it was almost like they had stumbled across this great clue. Right. But then I found like there were other things that were reported to the dean. I think his name was Dean Knox and to the police back then that they seemed to just brush aside. There was a gentleman, H.H. Uh, Stevenson, who was a university housing official who actually knew Ronald Temmerman. And he claims that uh, in August of 1953, he was in New York and he swears that he saw him sitting at a table with a bunch of other gentlemen and he said it was really uncomfortable and weird because he kept the, he, he kept looking at him this ronald in person or the person lookalike kept looking at him as if he recognized him now he didn't say anything to his wife when they were there at the dinner but when he got home he did call the university and said hey i think we i think i saw him but they never followed that up, and they never did anything. But they were all over this woman who claims that she saw him in the middle of the night who doesn't know him at all. But somebody who does know him says, hey, I might have seen him, and they didn't do anything about that. And I think that's very strange as far as the police investigation is concerned. There, I, I did see in some clippings where they talked about how there had been sightings of him in New York. Did your clip, uh, the, the news source that you looked at, was that years afterward or pretty soon after? Uh, like uh, five months. Five August. Months. Yeah, August. Yeah. Okay. So I did read something about that and how they had dismissed it, but I didn't see any details of why they had dismissed yeah. it. Yeah. So that's interesting. And there was, uh, yeah, and then I just, uh, the one other thing that I noticed was the FBI got involved. But the FBI got involved because he, his draft status had changed, and he was supposed to report, like, for a physical and stuff like that. But the, uh, the dean or the university never let them know that he was missing. <laughs> so, like, they, he missed his, uh, he, he was supposed to report in August. He missed his physical, so that's why the FBI started looking for him, and then he missed uh, when he was supposed to report and all this other stuff. So I and guess, then they found out he was missing yeah. after they're already looking yeah. for him because he's missing. So it just seems like between the police and the, the university had an investigation going on, it seemed like it was handled very poorly yeah. off the get-go. Yeah, so, not very organized. Yes. So if you're not buying the amnesia and you're not buying that woman saw him, and you are buying possibly the person who knows him, saw him in New York. Is this a guy who just wanted to disappear? I, I don't I don't know. You know, you you start reading all this stuff on the Internet and you're trying to filter through it. Um, there was one one person that was investigating. I was reading his website. Uh, some other he had some interesting things that's. Some people had claimed that he had had an argument with his brother earlier that day. Some people had claimed that he had gotten a phone call between seven and eight. Uh, another thing, interesting thing I read was he was reading his psychology book that day, and that was the book that was left open, but he had dropped out of his psychology class. He wasn't even in it anymore. So it's like there's a lot of weird things. That's, I, it, so I'm not buying the amnesia. As far as him just disappearing, he either decided I'm walking away from everything and he's leaving all his possessions behind or somebody took him. Because I think if he accidentally got hurt in that short period of time, I think somebody would have found him, right? I mean, I, I, was, I was trying to imagine, do I have these uh, sheets that smell like fish? Am I taking them 
was he going to drop them off to be laundered somewhere? As was there any reason that he could have walked outside? Oh yeah, because so of we've that? got another possible destination. Where was he taking those sheets? And could there have been some interaction at that site or on the way to? The thing about this uh, this mystery is there's just there's nothing definitive. There's nothing that stands out and makes you think, hmm, I, maybe it was that. Or so many different ways you could go. Yeah. I also um, I had also heard that uh, there were some he had there were some friends that stepped up and said that they strongly believed that he was at song practice so that he may have changed his betting, which also too one uh, one for sure fact was they know that he returned to his room with the betting after he asked for the sheets because the betting had been changed. But the pillowcases, the pillows had not been put in the pillowcases. So I always thought that I thought that was kind of weird, too. Like, huh. So did he stop what he was doing and take the sheets? That's why I was like, did it happen when he took the sheets right, away, right. the smelly sheets? So. And you know what? If he is that involved with his sheets, I'm almost more buying the idea that something happened that he wasn't expecting as opposed to him running away. Because if you're leaving of your own volition and you're going to disappear for the rest of your life, are you really going through all this with your sheets? No. I mean, if that's the night you're choosing to leave, why would you care about your sheets at all? And you get amnesia. Let's say you get amnesia and wander into the woods. They're going to find, they're eventually going to find you. You get them in freeze to death. They're going to find you. You get amnesia and wander into town. At some point, somebody's going to be like, hey, we got a guy here that's not doing well. You still have amnesia and you're wandering you'd get a job you're not going to be like at some point like man i miss uh <laughs> that's right i'm a college student I, I should be doing that um if he had no reason to be a draft dodger because i don't know how i don't know how much people were dodging drafts in the 50s would that be the korean war or and what, what year was this 51 52 51 53 yeah yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if he would have, if you were going to draft Dodge, he didn't have to do that, though. He had a, he was a designated S4. So the, when I was reading the stuff about the draft board, he was, he was designated 1A in 1952 or 51, but he had, he had enrolled and he was a student. So his uh, thing got switched back to an S4 student. Uh, the, for, um, so that's the motivation for running away. Yeah, as soon as you, and as soon as he stopped going to school, the the, the 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 government figured it out, and there was like they redesignated him one A and was telling him, hey, you need to show up. So it just seems like for him, to, he had no reason to dodge because he was a student already. So I'm I'm picturing this scale, and it's kind of tilting away from harmless and tipping down to something a little sinister. He, if it were, Slightly. he's either grabbed. Or one crazy uh, theory I had was Russian spy. He was activated. They're like, Whoa, go now. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> you know? Wow. Was there something, anything Russian in his something background? Something government? I know. I thought that I saw. But that was something I, I was, that. I didn't have a chance to really dig into Cold his family War. or anything. Yeah, yeah. Cold War. Yeah. Russian spy. I love it. Yeah. He's like, go. cover's blown. Go, go, go. Go. Yeah. Forget the fish. Forget the sheets. Get your stuff and go. I think it would be interesting to learn more about his family and his brother. This, the fact that that kind of stuff kept coming up, that he had had what a possible he, argument with his brother, that he had possibly talked to his brother between 7 and 8 p.m. that night before the sheet incident. That's. I'm, I'm going to stick with the Russian spy thing for a minute. What if he sees the fish in his bed and blurts out a Russian expletive? Mm. And then he's like, oh, 
crap. I just said spoke Russian. Cover blow. Go. Yeah. How about that? And as Steve is wanting to point out, this all took place close to the Dayton Air Force Base, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. So there's like a very important military connection in that area. If you were going to be a spy, you might want to be in that area. Mm hmm. The heck? I was, I, uh, I was picturing uh, him in New York at this table with these people, realizing he recognizes somebody from his other, from one of his other covers. And maybe he's like, oh, no, <laughs> this guy's going to, this guy, I hope he doesn't come over. You know what? It, it probably is something that wild because I don't understand why this can't be solved otherwise. It's got to be something. Who kidnaps, uh, uh, I, I, who would even kidnap him, you know? Right. I mean, that's why, that's why I was thinking girl. about the family again. Like, what was going on with his brother? I don't understand what the, I didn't see anything. Nobody really knows what the connection or what was going on, right. that there was an issue. So, but could his, very fascinating. Dwayne, you have given us so much to think of. I almost want to go back and do a part two because we missed a lot and you contributed a uh-huh. lot. And I, I bet our listeners are loving it because <laughs> I am. All right. Anything else? Uh, no. Is all it? right. Well, thanks so much for your insight. Uh, maybe we'll find out someday. Probably not. <laughs> I think this was always going to be a, I think an so Ohio too. mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thank you, Dwayne. Thank you. And if you want to be an armchair detective uh, on a future podcast, listeners, drop us a line at feedback at ohiomysteries.com and let us know of your interest and we'll be uh, pulling names for future podcasts. Well, that's it for tonight, folks. Wait a sec, Steve. I've got one more surprise for you. You know I love surprises, so let's have it. Nah, you're going to have to wait. Let me just say that you can consider tonight's episode the first of a two-parter because next week I've got another Northeast Ohioan who simply disappeared from a college campus one day, never to be seen again. It's a Depression-era mystery with a couple of twists that I promise you won't see coming. Oh, man. You sure you don't want to tell us about it now? I think we could go for another half hour. I think I'll let our listeners contemplate the curious conundrum of Ronald Tamman for tonight. We hope you enjoyed tonight's episode, campers. As always, stop by ohiomysteries.com to check out the photos, news clippings, and links we've compiled for you on the Ron Tamman story. If you like our podcast, please spread the word. We're on Facebook and Twitter and would love it if you would like, follow, share, or retweet us. We'd love to have your friends and family join us as well. We make a pretty good dinner conversation, don't you think? We also have a Patreon page, where you can support us for as little as a buck a month. Money that will go toward helping us produce these features each week. Just visit patreon.com backslash ohiomysteries. We've even got a special perks plan for our contributors like drawing for rewards, even the chance to watch us live as we record a podcast. So check it out. With that out of the way, you know what time it is, Steve? Would this be our featured artist segment? You know it. Folks, Steve and I love introducing you to some pretty special musical talent in Ohio. Tonight, we want to tell you a little more about Tunnel Songs. The man behind that name is Dominic Martin, 
who write, records, and performs all of the music. Dominic, by the way, is working on an album he hopes to release by the end of the year. Now you can find Tunnel Songs on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just head on over to his website, tunnelsongs.com. And if you want to see Dominic perform in person, he's going to be at May Halls in Lakewood on November 24. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. May Halls? May Halls sounds right. And at the Dojo in Westlake on November 30th. He's going to be at the Dojo. The Dojo. Wow. Mr. Miyagi going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> We've just added Tunnel Songs to our future music link at ohiomysteries.com. We'll help you find Dom and all the homegrown Ohio musical talent we love to spotlight each week. So let's leave you with the full version of the song, Shorts Season. And we'll see you back here next week. When you left me in the winter, my heart went cold and I was told that everything was my fault. But now it's summer and I am thought out. Said bounced off my head and I completely moved on.
Chumba Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.